and thank you for tuning in to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by this week's message as we all live to bring more of heaven to earth. Hey, how you guys doing? Thanksgiving, can you believe it? You can't? It's too soon. Yeah, it sure seems that way. We, um, we, Lynn and I went out and bought room darkening shades um, at Home Depot just recently because last year our neighbors put up, um, they put up bright neon Christmas lights um, that shine right into our uh, window at night. And so we would hang a blanket up and we said, we got to do something better than a blanket this year. So they, they did that starting October. So a couple months ago we went out and we bought room darkening shades and and they didn't put their lights up in October. And we thought, well, maybe they're not going to do the lights this year. But then we uh, came home from a walk and found a notice on our door that uh, the movie company was going to be shooting at the house next to theirs. Um, so it's only, it's no more than like a hundred yards away from our house. And they came out with this big boom truck with lights that are like eight feet wide and four feet high. And they shoot from six o'clock at night until two thirty or three o'clock in the morning. And we went, now we know why we got those room darkening shades. And our neighbors put their lights up yesterday. So, <laughs> so we're all set. I don't know why I said that other than that I heard the thing about the movie. And I just, I think that's so cool that they're shooting a movie in Pepperell. I just find that really cool. And uh, I, I don't even, I don't even want to give you the name of the movie because I don't know what the movie's about. I have no idea. If you shoot a movie at night, it's, it could be kind of scary, but we were told it was a thriller. So it's okay. It's just a thriller. Thriller. Like a thriller or something like that. Anyway. Um, I was, I'm going to share a, a, just a little bit of something about my uh, heritage. Because, you know, when you, when you come to the Lord, you get a new heritage. You inherit him. You get his DNA. You get brought into the family of God. You become a child of God. My heritage is strange. I have a, probably, you guys too, probably too. I look out there and I, you know, we're all, we're all saved by grace. And we're all, we all have a story. Every single one of you, every time I get up here and speak, it's like, I know that there are powerful stories sitting out there in this, this group. Um, my grandmother on my, my mom's side, uh, Romel is her name. Romel Lewis was her name. And this is, this is why I say it's strange. She was a nun in a covenant. A convent, I mean. Co covenant. Yeah, she was a nun covenant. In a co covenant, yeah, in a convent, right? So she's a, a true blue nun, right? Now, how did I come about if my grandmother was a nun? That's the strange question right there. And I don't know much about her, her story in a sense, but that she used to tell us that she used to crawl on the cobblestones 
on her, her knees. And she would, she would rise up this steep staircase on her knees in this shrine and do prayers and do the rosary beads and all the other things that, that she did. And um, for whatever reason, and I, I don't know the whole reason, for whatever reason she left that lifestyle, and she married a Pentecostal preacher. I say those are two really big extremes. And um, my mom tells uh, me many stories of growing up in, in that home and in that surrounding. And my, my grandfather was a Church of God preacher. He's a Pentecostal, very powerful man of God. I never knew him personally. He passed away before I'd ever get a chance to really uh, get to know him. Um, but he he was extremely powerful in the things of God and, and a very powerful man of God. And they were in dire straits poverty as preachers uh, back in those in those days, back in the 30s and 40s. Um, he, my mom grew up in a tent, a canvas tent. The whole family was raised in a tent. They were so poor and so broke. My grandfather um, lived, moved onto a track of land that had a gold mine on it. Somehow he signed uh, something. He didn't own it, but it was a lease or something like that. He leased this gold mine with the hopes of finding gold, which he never did really find gold. And they just grew up. They used to play in the gold mine. In fact, a, a guy from Bethel, he used to mine gold. He actually found one of my mom's dolls in the mine one day when he was in there and brought it to her. And she said, that's my doll head. Parcel doll, just the head. So <laughs> my um, heritage is quite interesting. Um, none of my uncles ended up serving the Lord or my aunts. In fact, one of my uncles became an atheist. The other became a bartender, and the other lived in the bar. And um, they just didn't want anything to do with, my, with God at all. They, they saw so much irregularity, so to speak, in, uh, in the home. Uh, my grandfather was a great preacher. He didn't make a good family man, apparently. Stories that my mother has, has said. But I know he loved his family, and I, I, I do know that it was very hard. must have been very hard on him. I can't imagine raising a family in a canvas tent, that that's the only thing they could afford. They couldn't afford hardly anything. And then the dam got built in Reading, the Shasta Dam. And they actually made a new city of dam workers. It was an entire city. They, they had... Thousands and thousands of people move into the area to work on the dam. And these guys were quite the characters from what my mom says. And my grandfather actually moved up in the world. They actually... Uh, church I know there's something, something going on. Anyway, so he... Um, Oh, what? Moved up in the world. They got a shack. So it, it was like they moved from a tent to a, a little shack. 
very small little home in the midst of these workers that were working on Chassa Dam. And these were really some wild characters. A lot of them were like hobos. They had no family. They were drifters. They had hard lines, hard stories. They got paid very low pay and a uh, high-risk job. And he, he, the family started ministering with those guys. Um, the family started ministering to those guys. And they opened up their parsonage to the workers so that at any time, my mom can, remembers this, she said, any time, We'd be in the house, and all of a sudden, a worker would come in the house, go to the refrigerator, open the refrigerator door, and help himself to whatever was left in the refrigerator. And they'd all sit down, they'd talk together and fellowship together. And, and um, I was thinking, how, how many of you ladies would like a setup like that? Really, maybe it got, got me to thinking, like, how many modern-day American women would put up with strange men coming into the home all hours of day and night and opening the refrigerator door and just helping themselves to whatever's in there. And I realized my grandmother was quite a woman. She was an amazing woman. Just to have that kind of a heart and be there with them and raise a family in that environment. My mom recalls that she basically says, we never knew who would come through the door. They'd just come and show up. Um, he, he passed on, like I said, when I was young. And my, my grandmother married uh, another man who was really my, he became my grandfather. He was kind of like a, even though he wasn't my biological grandfather, so to speak. But he he took all of us grandkids in. He, he just loved us. He loved us the best way that he knew how to love us. And uh, he'd take me fishing. And we'd go fishing. And as we'd go fishing, I, I heard, I, I would hear, any time he lost a really nice fish, I would hear words that my parents never said. I, I was like five years old, and I didn't know what those words were. I'd never heard them before. But they'd, they'd come out of his mouth and, uh, just be me and him in the boat, and we'd we'd uh, I'd sleep in the bottom of the little little aluminum boat. I'd sleep in the bottom of the aluminum boat, in my sleeping bag, and fish all night long. Let the fish bite my worm or whatever, and wake up in the morning and have a fish on. And uh, I can remember some really good times with my grandfather in that boat. Uh, I never looked down on him for his language. I, I never really understood his language that much. I just knew that he was upset about something by the, his actions, and he. Uh, he loved my grandmother dearly. Um, he just thought the world of her. And her knees went out, probably from the convent days. Her knees just blew out, and she was bedridden for uh, a good part of her uh, elderly years until she passed on. The hardships that they both went through. I, I, you know, can't imagine um, being in a public, public life like that, even for my mom, having, having that kind of a life where you, you don't have a lot of privacy. It's just, you never know who's going to come in. 
and yet you're leaving yourself available for that. And I think about my mom, and I think about how she, for all the years, even though none of her other siblings really walked with the Lord, she did. She stuck with Jesus. She, obviously, when she was a girl, she had an encounter with the Lord. And she has held on to Jesus for her entire life. And the reason I'm saying all this, and the reason that I'm, I'm bringing all of this out, there must be a reason, right? I, I love my heritage. As, as wild as it is, going from a nun to a Pentecostal to, she actually, the, the, the next man she married, um, uh, Papa Jean, we used to call him, he was a hobo, a drifter. He left the home when he was in seventh grade because it was a terrible home. He left and he drifted. He rode trains and would hang out with hobos and <laughs> eat beans out of a can. And uh, You know, it's like, what a, what a life that guy lived. And we don't know all of his exploits in those years, except for that when my mom took over their books, when they were a little bit older on, she took over the books for taxes because she could do bookkeeping. And she took over the books and she was surprised at how much money my grandfather had. And he had money in banks all over. He had money in banks in New York, Michigan, all over the place. She told me, I, I don't know how much money he had there, but she told me, she says, he's got a lot of money. And no one in the family really knew where it came from. My heritage. On the other side, my dad's side, my grandma Nicolette um, married into a French family that only spoke Canadian French. And she never really was able to learn the language. Nobody was willing to teach her. And she could tell by her stories growing up in the home, she, could, she lived with um, my grandfather's parents. She could tell that they didn't really like her, didn't really like her too much. Long story short, she uh, became a Christian at some point, dedicated her life to the Lord, and for 45 years she served as a Sunday school superintendent for, uh, for Bethel Church for many years and then for Twin City uh, Church in Redding, California. And she, 45 years as a Sunday school superintendent, working with children of all ages, and was just an amazing woman. She, she could sew anything. She did quilting. She did. She made some of the best pies that I can remember as a kid. She's just fantastic uh, cook. And she dedicated her entire life to the Lord in serving Him in the church that she was involved in. And after forty-five years, they went to give her an award. They gave her an award for her service. And on the day that the church was going to award her, we are actually living in California at this time. They were going to give her this award for 45 years of service. And it was, they presented her a, blank, a blanket and a plaque. And as they were presenting it to her in front of the whole church, she, she died. 
on the spot. Now, little did I know that my grandmother had said for years, I want to die in church when I go. She pretty much got her wish. <laughs> and I mean, she literally gave her life to the church for 45 years. And she uh, passed away. And we did get to go see her in a hospital. She was uh, brain dead. Her, uh, kept alive by a breath machine. And I never will forget going in there and seeing her like that. Uh, I was young. Len and I were young, just newly married. And going in the hospital and seeing her. And we talked to her because we, we believed that she could still hear us, even though she was gone. And we spoke to her. And as we left that room, the nurse told us, I don't know what you guys really said to her, but her, what did she say? Her, her vitals changed when we talked to her or something? She, like she responded. Something in the, the equipment showed that she was responding. She was responding to what we were saying. And... Um, I I really thank the Lord for my parents. And like I say, I know that many of you have similar stories. But my grandparents and my parents, how? And you know when you're a kid, right? You're a kid. You're growing up in the home. And you just know them as mom and dad, right? They're mom and dad. Of course, they're mom and dad. You're, you're growing up. You don't really know them as people. You just know them as I mean, that's how I was. Maybe you guys are different. Maybe you sat down and said, what's your likes? What's your, what, what things do you really like? But I, I didn't. I basically would hear stories throughout the years. And, uh, but the most part, I'm just, I'm just growing my life underneath my mom and dad. And they're living their life, supporting us, taking care of us, making sure there's food on the table and we have a roof over our head. And uh, you don't really get to know know your parents that well until something happens and when you have children suddenly you realize oh wow my mom and dad this is how I was with them and then you start learning how to relate to them my heritage very powerful heritage my Pentecostal grandfather he he was arrested preaching the gospel he really he really was he was arrested there was a on the front page of the, the local newspaper they ran an article of a seven-day trial jury trial that they had with my grandfather uh, being um, being accused of disturbing the peace my grandfather disturbed the peace and it's what had happened is he was so open to the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and believed in miracles, believed in signs and wonders, believed in healing, that they would have healing services that would go late into the night. Um, they, would just, they would just be going after God. He actually uh, was such a radical. My grandfather was such a radical in this time period of life in the 50s and, and 60s. He was such a radical that he actually had a seven-member worship team. Most churches had an organ, and if they were lucky, they had a piano. But he had seven members. And man, did that cause a ruckus in his town. That was one of the issues. One of the, the neighbors that was com, 
complaining. That was one of his biggest complaints. They don't have just an organist. They have seven members on their band. That was his biggest complaint against them, disturbing the peace. And now these are Pentecostals. They got they called them holy rollers for a reason. Yeah, they were loud. They were excited. They were excited bunch. Uh, Sally used to shake her head, and her bobby pins would fall out all over the place. And but the, how he got arrested was that he invited a couple of uh, women healers from New York State out to California to have healing services. And they were praying over people to be healed. And this young girl, 19 years old, who was born deaf and mute, suddenly, instantly, was healed by God on the spot. And she started screaming at the top of her voice. This is why you got arrested for disturbing the peace. She was screaming at the top of her voice so that not only the neighborhood, they probably heard her all the way downtown. And she is screaming, shouting, and just screaming. Dan, the whole place just erupts, right? All the people are in there. They're all excited because they knew her. They knew she couldn't speak. They knew that she couldn't hear. And she's suddenly healed. And she's just exploding. So off come the cops. The cops come up to the meeting while the meeting's in full-blown excitement and ecstasy. And they grab my uh, grandfather, put him in handcuffs. They take the mother and the girl and bring them down to the station. And they were in the trial as well. They were arrested as well. So my grandfather, the 19-year-old girl, and her mother arrested. Seven-day trial, front page of the newspaper for seven days. Finally, after seven days, after hearing all the testimonies, all the complaints about my grandfather from the neighbors who didn't like a church in the neighborhood with a seven-member band, the judge calls the girl up for testimony. She comes up, she gives her testimony. And he looks at her and he said, Now, you're really the reason why we're all here. So this is very interesting to me that you are sitting here and it's well known that you couldn't talk and you couldn't hear, but now you can. And he says, I, I, don't, under, I don't understand all of this, what has happened to you, but something clearly has happened. But the reason that you're here is that you were very loud. So could you please, could you please, in your testimony right now, could you be as loud as you were that night that you got healed so that the court could hear exactly what happened? And could you say exactly what you were saying? And at the top of her voice, as loud as she could, hallelujah, I can talk. And he took his mantle, case dismissed. Oh, man. My grandfather, very soon, you know, someday soon, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to him in heaven. I can't wait to hear all the stories because I'm sure he has a lot of stories. But the powerful things that he must have witnessed and, and what they must have seen. And even in that time to where he's brought before the courts of men, refused to have a lawyer, he told the judge, the Bible will be my defense. 
which there's plenty of scriptures in the Bible that could easily defend what he did. It's my heritage. I... I can't escape my heritage. No matter how hard I try, my mom and dad's blood is in me. Their parents is in me. Tracing far back as I can. It's all packed up inside here. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Our story, your story, my story. Somehow, we crashed into God. Or should I say, He crashed into us. Oswald Chambers says that the the greatest event in history was when Jesus Christ on the cross crashed into humanity. And you can't deny the workings of what goes inside of us as far as believers. You can't deny him in there working, can you? Can you deny it? I can't deny it. I can't escape it. I can't. I can't look at my life and I can't see all the good things that God has done. And he's done so many things in my life over the years. You know, I, I didn't want anything to do with him for a period of time in my life. I was an atheist for a period of time in my life. As, as much as an atheist could be an atheist, I was an atheist in high school. It was mostly because the church was against everything that looked good to me as a high school student. And I just figured if I'm going to have any fun in this life, I need to leave the church to do it. And I ran. I had someone's post recently on Facebook that said that the older I get, the more I realize that I'm liking the things that my parents told me I should never like. Staying up late at night, I'm liking going to bed early. <laughs> on and on it goes. I probably messed up that post, but what what I'm looking at as we as we gather together in this room, I'm looking at a combination of people who have at some point in time encountered the Lord or the Lord encountered them, crashed into him. A change has come, a regeneration, a a rebirth, a new creation. Someone who has been transformed inside that you cannot deny and you cannot escape and you cannot just say it was just coincidence. He is in you. He is in me. By grace, we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. I didn't get here myself. I didn't come here myself. Believe me, it wasn't my choice to stay in New England, although I did have a choice. He said, here you go. And I said, yes, and that was my choice. And I didn't kick against the goads, and I didn't go begrudgingly. I enjoy this beautiful part of the world. Woke up this morning, it was 25. I enjoy 25. He has made 
a new man in me. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I look all around today and I see, I see and observe the turmoil in our, in our land. And we're facing things in our life today, things that are happening today in our life that we've probably never faced. I, I know I've never faced it, never gone through any kind of a pandemic and never gone through any some of the things that we hear on the news where you can't believe what one side is saying or the other side is saying. I have a news feed on my uh, Apple here that gives three different news opinions, uh, the right, the middle, and the left. And it explains what each one uh, is so that the reader can say, oh, this is what the conservatives are writing about. Oh, this is what the left is writing about. This is what the middle is writing about. And somehow we're supposed to decipher the news out of these opinions so that we have an idea of what's going on. And I, I, I just feel like, you know, don't we as believers know something that is going on that far exceeds what's taking place in our culture and our society? Don't we as believers know that something more true is taking place today than what is being reported, than what the world wants us to believe, than what the uh, systems of this age are uh, going towards? It's like, you know, you used to read the book of Revelation, and I used to wonder, how did, how did the Antichrist deceive all the nations? Within two short years, I'm beginning to understand how this could happen. And I am not saying that it is in native age, but I am saying there's a big sign, there's a big indicator, there's this big like, what? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And we live in a time and in a culture that needs some good works and needs some people to get involved. We can pray. We can ask God to intervene in the situation. He is here with us. He is not absent. We are not walking alone in this society and in this culture. We are walking with him together. What did Jesus say? I am going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit when he comes. He will guide you and counsel you and comfort you and show you what is to come. We have a certainty, all right? As believers, we have a certainty of what is that really is. Now, my mom is still alive today, 88 years old, but she has forgotten a lot. Dementia, she, she doesn't recognize me anymore when I do FaceTimes with her. Um, and she's, she's digressing in that respect as far as her mind goes. But her spirit, oh, Man, her spirit. And you know, for as weak and frail as her mind is, she, when she gets into a place of worship with God, it's, it's like something happens to her, all right? 
I, I don't know how to explain this. Lynn has observed this. We, we knew this years ago when they were uh, leading Diamond Fellowship that her uh, dementia was going. But when she would get in the presence of God with her community at Diamond Fellowship and she would lead worship there and uh, she would share. My dad would always hold his breath because he never knew what she was going to say. He lived with her. He knew about her memory loss. But the anointing would come on my mom and she would start preaching. And she would preach some of the most accurate stories that you could possibly imagine. It was like she... It was like she bypassed her mind entirely with her spirit, and her spirit was communicating in clarity and in power. My sister recently sent me a video of, of my mom sitting with um, the iPad in front of her, and it was on Bethel Music. And my mom was laying in the bed as she's watching this iPad. And she's singing the songs verbatim, just remembering the songs as she's singing. And she's sitting, laying there in bed with her hands up. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You are just so good, Jesus. You are so good to me. You are so faithful. She's just caught up in a place of worship. And I'm intellectually, I'm looking and I'm going, there's so much to what God has given us. Inside of us, the whole being, the entire being, not just about our logic, not just about our head, not just about our understanding. But there's so much more that goes so deep. And I was watching my mom worship and I'm watching her worship and, the, and she's just caught up in, in the spirit of the Lord. That's my heritage, man. That's my mama. She's just so plugged into God. She's so in tune to the spirit that her mind is not holding her back. Her mind is not keeping her suppressed in her relationship with God. Her spirit is there and in tune. I've been sitting down next to Joyce recently every week, and I just sit next to Joyce, put my arm around and say, Joyce, you're so amazing. She goes, yes. This, this has been causing her not to speak so well, but her spirit is very much alive, and she wants to speak, believe me. Inside, she's speaking. She's talking. You can just, I just sit next to her, and I can hear her communicating in her spirit. And I told her t just this morning, I said, Joyce, I believe that one morning you're going to wake up and you're going to be able to talk perfectly. You're going to be perfectly healed. <laughs> Beautiful thing about being in a church like this is uh, I'm sure she's been prayed over by many of you. Wendy just came up this, this morning when I was sitting next to Joyce and Wendy said, Joyce, I want to pray for you. I've been learning about this part of your brain. I can't remember what she said part of the brain was, but she laid hands on her and prayed for her and just spoke that thing into um into being just spoke the healing in because we have so much more than than our intellect our intellect wants to see and decide and decipher everything but our spirits are very much alive god told paul the apostle my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness 
power being made perfect in weakness. I look at my mom in weakness in mind, logically, mentally, weak. But I see the power of God in her life and her spirit coming to life when she plugs in to the presence of the Lord. And we, not, we might not be able to make sense of what's going on in our world right now. It might not make a hill of beans sense to any of us. It really might. It might not just be me that's all confused. You might be confused too. But I'm telling you, we have something far more than the intellect and far more than what we can ever possibly imagine. And that's our Savior. That's our Lord. Who, who, for the joy of the cross, he set himself towards the cross. And to him, that's why he came. Through the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It's why he came. It was his sole purpose in life. It wasn't just to be the healer, the teacher, the prophet. It was to be the Savior of the whole world. Nothing can reverse it. Nothing can undo it. Nothing can take it away. There's no power in hell strong enough to undo the work of the cross. No one can undo it. I don't know, I, I really don't know what we have uh, for Christians as a future, but I do know one thing, we have the cross, and that's a power that this world cannot, cannot compete with. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Yeah. We might feel weak right now, but we have his power within us, and it's amazing power. I've been reading this book, The Highest Good Called the Shadow of Agony, by Oswald Chambers. Um, Oswald Chambers was an incredible, uh, incredible teacher of a university. He was a gifted teacher in the fivefold apostolic gift, I believe. He, he really had it going on. And he went and he uh, not only spoke in the university, but he would go as a chaplain to World War I vets who were on the front lines. And they were seeing horrible things as young men, things that young men should never have to deal with and see. And he went and brought the gospel to them. And I just want to read just a little portion of this. The cross of Jesus Christ is the point where God and sinful man merge with a crash. And the way of life is opened. But the crash is on the heart of God. The cross is the presentation of God having done his bit. That which man could never do. The New Testament reveals that the basis of human life is not rationalism, but redemption. He's telling this to young men who are watching their friends get blown up and lose parts of their body and bleed to death and uh, just horrible scenes. And he's, he's bringing this to them so that they can relate in this place of agony with a Savior who died in agony for them. 
We all stand together. It's our message, you know. It's never going to stop being our message. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Buried. And resurrected. And His power is still working here. Father, I want to thank you for this house. I thank you for for who they are. I thank you for your love for each of us here. That you have poured out yourself on us. And you work in us. And you work through us. Show us and teach us how to pray. Teach us how to get our strength from you. We don't have all the answers. I know I don't have all the answers. And I don't know all that's going on. But I know that it's all in your hands. And we trust you. And we look to you. And we thank you for being the Savior of this world. I thank you, God, right now that there are, there are forces at work that I'm not at all in agreement with. But those forces at work, when there are people in them, all it takes is a millisecond for you to crash into them and they're changed. I pray that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit faithworship.org.